Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Mainland Podcast. As you may be able to tell from my voice, I am not managing editor Michael Citro. He is currently out sick. We wish him all the best. But in his stead, I am Austin David, one of the senior columnists for the Mainland. And joining me is Andrew Harrison, another senior columnist for the Mainland. And Andrew, we're we're one of the two old or two of the oldest senior columnists now uh, with the site. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel old, Austin. It makes me feel old. And with a <laughs> birthday coming up, it's not going to make me feel any younger. Oh uh, well, uh, we wish you the best for your birthday, and I uh, <laughs> hope you get lots of gifts and everything. I might but, get a uh, baby for it, but that's going to be about it. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good gift. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, and giving for the next 18 years or more. Yes, and taking. Oh, yes. Look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're, we're here to talk some soccer. Um, hey, Orlando City did a thing that they haven't done in quite a while. They, they won a road game, and they had a shutout on the road, which I don't think has happened since the NYCFC game back in the beginning of the season. Uh, 2 nothing the final against the Philadelphia Union, who have been on a tremendous slide since like the last 10 games but uh you know needless to say it's a result for Orlando City what do you think yeah it was a good way to kind of start the wind down from the season um obviously a bunch of people are playing for their squad positions um I think we started to see that um the other day but what I didn't see was still a whole lot of passion. We may have won that game, but it wasn't the blistering pace and style that we have expected from these Lions throughout MLS and USL. It was very much a standard performance, and we just kind of got lucky with both the goals. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of a plan for attacking Philadelphia, but we won, so I can't complain too much. I mean, there's always room for complaints. You know, there's there's definitely things that can be improved on. Oh, yeah. I think at this point in the season, though, it's just kind of like they're they're gonna try and do their best to finish it out, and then come like preseason next year in February, they'll try and get a plan in place to move forward and actually get a cohesive attack and plan in place uh, to play that kind of style of football or soccer uh, that we are we're used to seeing, uh, you know, last year. But, uh, you know, talking about the game itself, a lot of guys, uh, like you mentioned, got some starts and got some chances to play. Uh, Mikey Ambrose got the start at fullback, and then Rafael Ramos hadn't seen him since, like, May. He finally (laughs) came back from a a nagging hamstring injury and played his first um, MLS match since then. He he played a little bit in USL to try and get back, but 
you know, that was two months ago. So it was good seeing him back on the pitch. They had the, uh, it was a 4-2-2-2 formation. I guess you could call it a 4-4-2. Uh, Rivas and Laren up top. And, uh, you know, Rivas got a goal out of it. It was a typical Rivas goal in the sense that. He almost he didn't showed, make it. <laughs> yeah. He showed off his speed, which is just, you know, typical him. He took a, t- a bad touch at the top of the 18, which almost cost him the goal. And then got a lucky bounce, and it went into goal after uh, it deflected off of his chest. So, you know, what, what, what can you talk about the two guys with, with Ramos and Rivas getting their uh, chances towards the end of the season? I think it's good, um, especially for Ramos. Obviously, he hadn't had any opportunities to play under Jason Christ. He had had some USL minutes, and obviously Christ thought that now was the time. Um, Alston has been flagging a lot. This is his first season back in quite a while. He only re-ended the league last year with New England after some serious health issues. And the fact that he's gotten so many minutes wasn't great for him this season. So it was nice to be able to spot him off. Um, Was it an overall improvement? I, I don't know. They both lack any crossing ability sometimes. It's not you don't. It's always going to be hit or miss with either of them. But it was nice to be able to get some fresh legs. Um, Ambrose was also good. I think he did prove a little bit of an improvement um, over Luke Bowden at that left back spot, and you can see why they they made the decision to get him signed early so that we weren't going into the off season battling for his signature. Rivas, I I want to say time will tell, but I feel like two years is all that we can afford when he's a young DP eating up a mechanism that this league requires for player acquisition. Um, His speed is something that is phenomenal, but unlike David Akam, he doesn't have the ability to turn that into stats, like goals and assists. Um, He was very close to blowing that goal, even though that should be a slam dunk. Any natural forward would eat those up every single day of the week and get one in the in the goals column. Um, I don't know if Jason Christ knows that he can get the best out of this guy, but do you have the ability to trade him and pick up anything that we've lost um, in terms of picks or TAM? I don't know. Um, and we'll be able to see whether or not this front office, which is still without a permanent GM, um, is able to wheel and deal in this offseason. Well, uh, let me cl- clarify something here really quick. They're, they do have a GM. According to Phil Rollins, both him and Nikki Bedalic are co-GMs for the foreseeable future. So those guys are working in tandem to bring in new players and scout. Uh, Phil was a, a GM back in USL, uh, and he feels that he's competent in doing the job, as well as Nikki Bedalic, who was the assistant GM coming into the season, and now he's been promoted to co-GM. So. I, I- the, the, I, I, I understand that, but on every great team needs a leader. Everybody needs to know who the boss is. Otherwise, you end up um, sometimes at cross-purposes. I would like them to fill as the chairman and is growing this and is in that kind of role. I would like to see him go back to that and allow us to have somebody to move forward with because what happens if that person gets poached because they're just a co and they would like to be a, a full. I, I, I want to see us turn that around and maybe that off season is this and it also helps with player acquisition as well. 
Yeah, and I've I've heard a lot of good things about Nikki Vidalich coming in when they first hired him. Uh, he had a, a very good resume in terms of just scouting players uh, all over the place, and you know the team seems to be very high on him as well. So I think he's probably taking the brunt of the work in terms of player scouting. Uh, Jason Kreis has talked to, about him in press conferences uh, specifically. He hasn't really mentioned Phil in terms of player acquisitions, um, but he seems to like Nikki as well. So, you know, going forward, it looks like Nikki's probably going to be the guy in terms of the GM, um, but, you know, Phil's still helping out in that respect. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the, the Carlos Rivas thing, uh, it's really interesting to look at him as a forward because going back to his days with Adrian Heath, you know, and she saw him as a winger. His crossing ability um, has been good, you know, all things considered. He yep. has a, a very good left foot, and he's able to put crosses into the box, uh, speeding down that left side. And that, that worked very well in Adrian Heath's system. But talking to Jason Christ about Carlos Rivas, he sees Carlos as a striker. And that's what Carlos Rivas sees himself as, a striker. Um, you know, and there was something that really stood out to me during a press conference that uh, Jason had a few weeks ago. I can't remember what game it was, but he put Carlos on the wing. And after mm-hmm. the game, he said, oh, you know, we, we played him out of position, something that he wasn't really comfortable with. And I'm thinking he played all of that, you know, last year and a little bit of this year. How is that out of position? But then I started kind of thinking, well, maybe Jason sees him as a striker. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of that difference of, uh, you know, coaching. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you talk to Carlos, and he sees himself as a striker. He was playing striker at Deportivo Cali before he came to Orlando. And I think he didn't like playing on the wing, despite how, uh, how much more successful he was playing on that side compared to playing as that outright striker, uh, which we saw in the beginning of the season. Uh, then Kyle Aaron came in and kind of took that role away. They moved him to the wing, uh, and you know he did really well. You know, provided a, a number of assists to to Laren in the box, and you know created chances for the team, especially pacing down the wing. But you know, having that second striker with with Laren as well as Rivas in that four four two system that Jason Kress wants to play could definitely benefit him going forward. It, it certainly could benefit for him going forward, and I think it, it's 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 important that you have to remember that it's great as a coach where you need somebody to play, and Heath needed a left wing last season. Um, when it kind of became a little less important to have that left wing because uh, you know then you had to find something to do with him, and if he identifies as a forward, I thought we saw that in the Montreal game is that he can play as a forward. He can be devastating with his pace and he still needs to learn to shoot but what he is not able to transition very well as um, he's not able to play as a left wing and then cut in he has no ability to seemingly take somebody on what he would prefer to do is just take the long shot which he ends up skying putting wide or somehow turning it into an accidental cross if it works out for him i we have to find a role for him and does this work as a forward? I don't know because what we seem to see too is when he's up front, Laren seems to get a little compressed out of the game and goes a little bit more wandering because he realizes there's somebody else up front with him and so he doesn't have to stay as high fault, as high in the field. Um, 
we've also seen his opportunities drop since Laren, uh, since Rivas wasn't there providing him any service. So there's got to be that balance. You, you have to find it. Um, it's going to take a preseason with Jason Christ at the helm of this team, I think, to really fit Carlos Rivas in, but it's whether or not they want to go through that offseason with him taking so much of the resources of this team um, moving forward. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the question. Because he's taking that designated player slot, it, it it's really a, a toss-up in terms of if they try and buy him down, I think that would be the ultimate decision that they would make in, in terms of uh, bettering the team because then they could go out and sign another designated player. Mm-hmm. And Jason Kreis has spoken at, at length at, at different times about just how important designated players are to an MLS team. Um, you know, there was a game where Kakao had a brace and he was saying, um, you know, designated players need to step up in, in specific games just like the one he did. And, uh, you know, he, he spoke at length about how uh, designated players need to be the ones that uh, take over games and, and have that ability to, to score goals when needed. And, you know, at that time Kakao was doing it, he's kind of uh, come back a little bit. And, you know, just like the whole team, it's been a bit of a struggle. But Carlos Rivas isn't one of those guys. He's a young designated player um, when he was brought in, along with Brian Rochez, who's back at Honduras. Uh, from what I've heard with him, actually, I think he scored a few goals over there, which is good to hear. Uh, that situation still remains to be seen, but Rivas is still with the team. Uh, he's getting minutes. But is he a designated player? Should he be taking up that designated player slot? Probably not. I think definitely not, and I think many fans would agree Buying him down would probably be the best thing to do. Go out and get another high-quality player. Uh, I think defensively would be the ideal point. I think their attack with Matias Perez-Garcia, Kaká, Kevin Molino, Kyle Laren, and Carlos Rivas, I think that's a good attack. But it's just the defense. I mean, they let up the most goals in MLS this year. That can't happen a, a, a second or even third year in a row. Well, no, it certainly can't, and especially you have to look at the fact that Joe Bender kept us single-handedly in games some sometimes, and we could have had it. It could have been a lot worse, and so the defense has to go, and that's why I think you have to think if you want to keep him around, like if he has a good ethos and a good attitude, and you think that you can make him into an asset, then you have to buy him down because you have to open up that limited DP slot that the league doesn't have any more of, um, especially with Matias Perez-Garcia. That spot probably doesn't stay. So if we want to keep him, we either have to buy him down. We already have bought a lot of people down, which leaves not much allocation money. You, we have to find that spot and they have to make that determination whether or not it's worth just to offload him and, and cut their losses or whether or not they still want to invest more time in Carlos Rivas, but buy back that specific asset in the DP slot. Yeah. And going back to Matias Perez Garcia, our own Gavin Eubank did an interview with Phil uh, a few weeks ago. And when he asked Phil about what the situation with Matias Perez Garcia was, he seemed to suggest that he was still under contract and that would remain with Orlando up till the end of next year. He didn't really go into specifics about that, but as of right now, San Jose is still paying his salary and is taking up a DP spot from them. 
I don't know how that's going to work in terms of next year if it, that's yeah. going to stay the same way. But, I mean, that would be a, a huge load off of Orlando's shoulders, not having to pay his salary. Um, and then also have, not having that designated player slot being uh, taken up. Because Matias Perez-Garcia, since he has come in in that trade for Darwin Seren, has been a huge, huge addition to the Orlando attack. Yeah, he's given us a lot more bite. Um, he's been able to, I think he's what he's been able to do is drag some of the pressure away from Kaká, who was single-handedly middle of the season just continuously getting marked out of games. Um, by having an extra threat in there, it's made it that little bit easier. I Obviously, we haven't necessarily converted that um, into game-winning goals, but we've had some goals. We haven't been continuously blanked out, so he's been a welcome addition. Um, it also showed that Jason Christ was wanting to attack rather than defend, which was so prevalent in this team with you know, we all, I think at one point we had five defensive midfielders on the roster and that just that didn't give us a good attitude going forward when we were struggling to score goals. So it was a good addition, I think. Did we miss Soren's attitude potentially around the darker points of the season? Maybe, but I think it was overall going to end up being a good trade for Orlando. Yeah, and, and you know, it still worked out for San Jose as well. I think it worked out for both teams, more for Orlando just because of the salary aspect of things. But, you know, Seren's been getting starts in San Jose and has been doing well in the defensive midfield for them. They're out of the playoffs as well, so it's pretty much mute. It's, it's a moot point for both teams at this yeah. point. Um, but, you know, it was, it was one of those trades. The only acquisition that Jason Kreis has made up to this point uh, so far has worked out, which kind of gives you hope for the future that Jason Kreis actually knows what he's doing. Because uh, a lot of fans are are somewhat suspect about him and, and say, oh, well, you know, should have kept Inchi and, uh, you know, should have never fired him, should have brought in somebody else, Jason Christ, you know, just because he's won in Real Salt Lake doesn't mean he can win anywhere else. And, you know, any of those things have been said around uh, over the course of the last few weeks. But uh, it kind of gives you hope with the with the acquisition of Matias Perez-Garcia that going into the offseason, they're going to bring in high-caliber players like him, um, and hopefully they'll improve and make the playoffs next year. That's that's the ultimate goal to this point. Uh, yeah. But quickly, let's talk about the defense. You, you mentioned Mikey Ambrose getting the start. Um, it's, it's basically him and Luke Bowden that are the two uh, fullbacks on the left side to this point, and then um, Rafael Ramos and Kevin Alston on the right-hand side. So... In terms of those guys, since Ambrose and Ramos got starts, um, I'm pretty sure they're both going to be around next season. Ramos kind of didn't have a chance to prove himself to Jason Christ since he's been injured most of the time. But in his first game back, I think he did a decent job uh, just kind of getting back into the flow of things. He'll probably get another start against DC United coming this weekend, I would assume. Uh, And then they'll kind of go from there. But you got to think Ambrose, uh, with his speed and, and ability on the ball, is definitely going to be a, a, a staple for the next few years in terms of a fullback for Orlando. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure he's the starting left fullback for Orlando, but I think he's definitely got um, the potential to be um, the future at the left-back spot if we can sign somebody for one or two years um, just to help him grow and develop. I think he needs that little bit more. Um, but that's saying that, you know, this team, 
Um, this league is about young players turning good. FC Dallas, Colorado, um, prove that. Um, so I don't want to discount him too quickly. I think he just needs more minutes um, in a severely competitive environment, and hopefully preseason um, will allow him to win that job. Yeah, and you, you know the difference between him and Bowden, uh, just in terms of pure speed. You know, yeah. Ambrose has been able to track back when. Bowden hasn't been able to necessarily, uh, but then on the other side of things, you know, Bowden's left foot, the, the balls he puts into the boxes are, you know, just pure quality. Uh, Ambrose still hasn't gotten that consistency as of yet, um, but he definitely has the potential. So, you know, both of those guys bring something different to the table. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, who's going to be defending. You know, if David Akam's out there, you're probably going to throw in Ambrose. But if you have a slower wing on the op- uh, on the opposition side, you may go with Bowden just to you know, allow some uh, more offensive tools going forward. Yeah, I, and, and that's, you know, it's it's touch and go because you have to decide what he's going to play. If he's playing in the diamond, maybe the guy doesn't get as far forward, so you don't need the crossing ability. But if you want him to overlap, then you need him to have that, that sweet left foot to be able to make dangerous situations happen, get some ricochets, get some own goals, give anybody who's playing in the front, whether or not it be one or two up front, the ability to put the ball in the back of the net, which is as much as, you know, defenses help keep points, goals win games. And so we need to be able to do that. And we need to be able to find people who can get the ball into the middle and and run at players rather than just try the long ball, which Bowden resorts to a lot more um, than anybody on the right side. Um, and, and we just have to see something different from this team. Um, whether or not we see a lot of changes this offseason, I'm still saying I think we'll see 10 players leave this roster um, this offseason. Okay. I don't know if it's going to be that many necessarily, but I would say probably five or six, because Jason Christ has come out and said it's not going to be an overhaul. It's going to be uh, rebuilding and uh they're looking to bring in more pieces than they get rid of, I think. Plus, you got to think of the expansion draft if any of the Orlando players get picked. Only one can be picked, thankfully, this year, um, thanks to the rules that MLS has put into place. Once a team has picked a player from a team, then that team is you know, gone from the, yep. uh, the running for that. So that's good in terms of Orlando. Um, possibly, you know, Breck Shea gets taken, the, the salary gets taken off their roster, and I'm sure a lot of people would be happy about that. Um, you know, maybe even David Mateos or Seb Hines, who knows? Uh, but that's definitely something to look out for. That's going to be mid-December when that happens. Uh, so we'll see who Orlando City decides to protect and put on their uh, 11 protected players uh, when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Mateos and... Breck, you'd love to see them potentially move on from the salary. I'm just not too sure. Um, you know, Atlanta probably has the functionality to be able to eat that kind of salary. I'm not too sure that Minnesota is going to want to go all in, but it would be nice to think that we could move those guys on and, and bring in an, a more adaptable piece for what we need. And I think Seb Hines, um, as much as you know, he, he is a quality defender, sometimes he leaves us at risk, but he's an easy potential pick. He's got two years under his belt, never mind a bunch of championship experience in England, but also he doesn't take up an international slot. So 
that's a that's a boon for any team going forward. Yeah, especially with the expansion teams not having uh, too many of those, and yeah, you know, just just getting a a defender who's had championship experience uh, could be a plus for them. But uh, we can we can talk about all the off season moves after the season's over. We still got a game left. Uh, the last home game for Orlando City at the Citrus Bowl or Camping World Stadium. I hate that name. Uh, that's going to be coming up on Wednesday. It's a 4 o'clock kickoff, so night- luckily it's cooled down outside, so it's not going to be like 90 degrees. The last time there was a 1 o'clock kickoff. Oh, that was uh, the, Mon- the Montreal game. I know yeah. you, you. I think you left early, didn't you? Because you couldn't take it. We did. My we. It was just. It, my wife is pregnant, so she came with me, and we we tried to make it happen, but it was just nobody was. I was not sitting out in that sun. <laughs> came home and watched the game on TV instead. Yeah, and no one really blamed you, and and <laughs> Orlando didn't even score in that game, so you didn't really miss too much. No. Uh, but before that game on Sunday happens. Uh, Orlando City has done something that's kind of fun for, for the long-time Orlando City fans, those who have been there since 2011. Uh, they've announced the throwback game, the game being on Sunday as a throwback game, so they're going to look back to all of the uh, fun happenings over the last five years in USL, all the games in Camping World Stadium back then known as the Citrus Bowl, um, You know, going showing highlight videos from the 2011 and 2013 championship games, um, they've already done little bits of interviews with former players uh, like Dennis Chin, Jamie Watson, even Dom Dwyer uh, had those on the on the Twitter and, and uh, Facebook pages. So that's always fun to see. But the one of the other things that Orlando City announced is that they're reviving the I-4 Derby. So for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the Derby game that they started, I believe, in 2013 uh, when they play the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So Orlando City has won every single game up to this point. This time it's going to be the alumni for Orlando City playing against the Tampa Bay Rowdies at the Seminole Soccer Complex at 7 o'clock, which is just down the road from their training facility. But I think a lot of people are expecting former USL guys, maybe Matt Luzanaris or um, obviously Rob Valentino, Eric Ustruck, and Anthony Pulis are going to be there. Uh, but that's all that the team had announced up to uh, this point. So I think people are expecting it's going to be USL, guys, but that's not going to be the case. Um, I can guarantee you, you probably have heard of maybe one other player that's going to be on this roster. Most of these guys are from the old Orlando Sundogs and the old Orlando Lions days. Uh and, uh, you know, I've, I've asked a, a number of people around, and they have no idea who these guys are. Um, so I don't know how how much you are up on your Orlando City history, Andrew, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting game with probably hardly anyone knowing who, who these guys are. Well, since I only moved here in 2008, I can't say that my Orlando City soccer history really stretches back further than the USL games. I was there for the very first game against FC New York, um, and I have been ever since. But stuff before that, probably not really going to get my uh, juices flowing um, for this game. But I I like that they've done it. I I like that they're kind of wanting to 
wash away the old. We've not had a great two first seasons in MLS. It's kind of giving them a chance to say goodbye to that era and hopefully move on. New stadium, new coach, new potential roster, and and kind of bring those through. And, and it'll be nice to see some of those old guys um, from the team and that really got us to where we are and get their standing ovations. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate because a lot of the former Orlando City players from the USL days, there's some of them are still playing. You know, Miguel Gallardo, Brian Burke, uh, Jamie Watson, um, Dennis Chin. They're all still playing in different leagues around the world. You know, Chinny's up out in Israel now, and then the other guys I mentioned, they're in NASL, and they've still got a, a, a few more games left in their season. So they're unfortunately not going to be able to make it. Um, so, you know, Orlando City has settled for, for the guys that uh, are, are, you know, 40, 45 years old. Uh, not sure when they last played a professional game of soccer or any game of soccer uh, in general. But it's definitely going to be an interesting game to see. And I think I – don't, I don't know how the fans are going to react to it uh, in terms of going out to the game, buying tickets, you know, setting up to take on a rivalry match against the Rowdies and then seeing guys that they've never heard of before. You know, I, one thing you can say about our fan base is that occasionally they get a little too rabid. I would expect that a lot of people are going to want to go out and, and see people that they want to they want to connect with that history of the part of the club that they didn't necessarily do when USL was around. You know, a lot of people in the city, their first game was the, the very first game against NYCFC when it was still the Citrus Bowl. Um, this is a good way to kind of try to connect those two fan bases together um, as we move forward and develop a whole other set of fan base with a new stadium, a real actual live grass pitch. Um, and this is this is kind of a great way to turn the page. And, and I'm, I'm excited about what's to come, not what necessarily we've already had happen. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of saying it. Uh, it's it, You know, I'm still going to go to it. I think it'll still be a fun way of just kind of watching another game at the Seminole Soccer Complex, just because you know they're they're sending it, uh, you know they're sending the training facility and everything out to Lake uh, was it Lake Nona? Yep. So that's going to be gone not next year, but the year after because there's some delays in the um, construction and everything. But you know, again, just a nice way to say goodbye and and move to the new stadium and hopefully have all the rest of the events there since the team will actually own where they play instead of renting it out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, that was a one another thing that they had. They went and bought it from Seminole County. They turned it into their own. Um, maybe, I'm sure they're going to turn it into, you know, a lot more of a development complex now that they have such a soccer pyramid for this franchise. Um, and it's great that they're just building up assets all over the place and trying to take all the um, goals around and, and taking the sport across the city. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they released some photos for the new stadium today, uh, today being Thursday, and they put the last steel beam on the stadium, so it's, it's getting real now. You know, there's, there's only about six months left until the uh, new season starts up, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully it'll be ready by then. Uh, I'm, I'm hopefully going to get a tour of it in the next uh, few months, which will be fun. And maybe we can get you in as well, Andrew. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But, again, still one more game left in the season. Uh, D.C. United, the last time Orlando played them, it was bad. 
<laughs> so they're they're looking to make it not as bad for their final home game. Yeah, uh, in DC, you know, they still have something to play for. They they're they're in that fourth spot right now. They are certainly in the playoffs, but they have to decide whether or not they want to. Um, really have that play or stay in game um, or whether or not they want to just make sure that they they are going to miss that midweek game and have an extra set of rested legs going into next weekend. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, I think we are going to want to go out on a much bigger high. Um, we do have the throwback day. We are trying to say goodbye to the stadium and also give the fans something to look forward to as the season ends since we're not going to be making that playoff run. Um, DC though, don't discount them. They have really gone on a bit of a tear. They have, they've gone in the opposite direction to the new England revolution. And um, they've been playing some great football um, and they shouldn't be discounted. Um, I- I'm going to say that you really have to watch out for them. And I think that this game probably ends in a one all draw. You know, it's funny that you say they end in a draw because Adrian Heath uh, went on the MLS postseason show that they had on Facebook Live last week, and they asked him, what do you think will be the result of the Orlando and D.C. United game? And he said it's going to be a 2-2 draw. And he said, and and then the guy uh, next to him, I can't remember who it was, he said, so that'll feel like a win for Orlando. He said, (laughs) yep. He said, exactly. Just because the way the season's gone, it'll feel like a win. A draw will feel like a win. And it's really funny because Adrian Heath said uh, it's going to be another draw for Orlando City, which would give them on a total for the season, I believe it's uh, 15 draws if they draw this next game, which is three off the record. It's really funny how we were talking at one point after all the draws that they were going to break the record handily. And then (laughs) they just ended up, instead of drawing games, they just either lost or occasionally won. So, you know, at least we won't go down in the history books for uh, infamy. The Chicago Fire will stay with that, who finished dead last in the season again. So, yeah, you know, positives. Take away from that. I mean, at this point, I I know we beat Philadelphia last week, and we did have some super positives. I mean, we went on the road, and we got three points. First of all, we hadn't gotten three points anywhere recently, and never mind to do it on the road, and also to get a shutout. I mean, all of those things have buoyed me as a fan, because as they were taking place, I was like, oh, we scored. That was really nice. And then we scored again, and like I just couldn't believe it because it hadn't happened, and you know we hadn't had any positive feelings around the club for a while. It's um, kind of funny how that works, isn't it? You know, it's 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 just like a nice little surprise. It's not even like yeah, yeah we're winning. It's just like oh hey, look at that, we're winning. Exactly. Like oh my god, he scored. Like I, I wasn't expecting <laughs> that from him. And so I, I feel like if we can go and play against a team that you know is did make that playoff run, they got hot at the right time, unlike Philadelphia and New England that just you know, can't catch a break. And Philadelphia are are basically in, even if not mathematically. If New England score 12, you know, the other team didn't turn up. Um, So DC, they got got something to play for. It's all about seeding, and it's really about avoiding that midweek game. But yeah, you also potentially have to think about, you know, Portland were the last team in and went all the way. Sometimes having those games so close together really helps you out. So do they come in and just say, whatever happens, happens? Um, I don't know. Ben 
Olsen isn't that kind of coach, but it, it will be an interesting game, a good way to end the season. Um, still hope that even though this is October and it is four o'clock, the game will be cooler. The temperature has certainly dropped. MLS needs to figure out that you cannot schedule afternoon games in Florida in a summer-based league. Yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, it, it goes for the same as Orlando and Houston. You really can't do that uh, yeah. and expect fans to you know, show up and, and kind of die out there in the heat. Uh, but the new state, at least... A of water. Right, and, and at least the new stadium, they'll have shade and have an awning over you, so it won't be as bad. Because, um, you know, I, I was watching the game from the press box, that, uh, that Montreal one, and people were hiding behind the scoreboard uh, in order to get shade. So that hopefully won't be an issue in the new stadium next year. But, again, still afternoon games, uh, no go for Orlando. Yeah. But... Looking, you know, you mentioned something um, in terms of the the shutout from the last game. Uh, I just, on a whim, happened to look up Joe Bendick's stats here. Um, he has the most shutouts in his career for a season this year, which, which is, is kind of crazy to say. That is insane. I mean, and he's only two shots behind basically winning, save, no, he's only two saves behind winning the Golden Glove for this season, which when you think about how many goals this team has conceded that's pretty incredible um uh, you know and he's he's faced over 22 shots more than jake gleason who's currently leading on 115 saves i i think that you really have to he is really a lot better a goalkeeper than people give him credit for because when he was playing for toronto he was behind a terrible toronto back line too um which can also be the same. Say the same. Which could be the same thing. And you know they missed the playoffs. I think Toronto did. Toronto just make it in. I can't remember. But they they struggled mightily. And you know the one thing you could never blame it on was Joe Bendick. It was always the Toronto defense. I think the same thing belies the point here. Is that he's a great goalkeeper. He's definitely somebody this franchise needs to move forward with. But he doesn't get the recognition. Yes, he wins the fan voted save of the week. But quite often he doesn't make any of the teams of the week, he's probably going to miss out on the Golden Glove, even though he's had really a fantastic season. He's just been on a bad team. But you look at the other teams who are in the top five saves, you know, you've got Portland, Orlando, Columbus, and Vancouver. Those are all teams that are basically in L.A. L.A.'s making the playoffs, but virtually all those other teams aren't. And Portland may sneak in this week, depending on how well Jake Gleason does. (laughs) Exactly right. But, I mean, 113 saves for Joe Bendick, but then you look at the goals allowed, 58. 58 goals allowed. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, that that's you – know, how, how many is that compared to, like, the second highest team? I think uh, – yeah, I think New England has allowed 54. Chicago's allowed 55. So it's it's only three ahead of – uh, the, se- the you know, second highest, but then you look at the Eastern Conference. You know the bottom six teams have all let up fifty goals or more. So, you know, what does that say about the Eastern Conference now? Oh, I think I mean the Eastern Conference has always been rated the weaker conference. Um, you know, that's the reason that the Supporters Shield quite often goes to the Western Conference team. They seem to do better in the cross intramural league kind of games. Um, but, you know, you, you also look at the goals against. Josh Saunders has conceded 56 goals. And 
NYCFC is likely to finish. I mean, they're still in the race for taking overall number one in the in the East. Um, the difference where it's been for Orlando is we've just not been able to score goals this season. And so as much as Joe Bendick has been keeping us in the hunt, we've just not been able to help him out on the front end. And so I want to see this guy move forward. I, I don't see how we would even remotely think about letting him go. Um, but he's really been our, a, def, a defensive MVP for a certain level. And he, he's been close to one of my best players um, consistently throughout the season. Yeah, uh, you know, you think about just the consistency of the players and, and everyone's kind of had their ups and downs during the season. But with Joe Bendick, you can't really think of any time he was at fault for a goal. Maybe that DDA Drogba free kick in Montreal just because he tried to punch it and it went in the net. That's really the only time I can think of off the top of my head that he was even remotely at fault for letting up a goal. Yeah, I mean that's my one that immediately comes to thing, and and that was that's a weakness in his game, and that he he attempts to punch sometimes over catching, um, and that was certainly what happened in that scenario. Um, I would maybe think I think there was a goal very early on in the season where his positioning just caught him completely flat-footed, um, and made it an easy goal. But quite often it's been that his defense has pulled him out of position where he wouldn't usually want to be, and he's conceded a goal. So he's not really been at fault. I certainly don't put any of the defensive woes on him um, other than that Drogba goal. But then we did, you know, he had a Josh Saunders moment and let one in, and then the forward saved him, and we won out in a comprehensive victory. Exactly right. So let's go ahead and kind of round this out here on this uh... – I don't even know how many episodes we've done on the Mainland Podcast here. It's... I think this might be week 68, but I may be wrong. Okay. Wow, we've we've been going a while now. I mean, the site's been up for over two years now, and we uh-huh. started the podcast right when the season started in 2015. So, yeah, that, that would roughly make about – it's 33 games a season. That would roughly make it about 68. But uh, as we wrap this one up, we'll, we'll kind of finish out talking about D.C. and – uh, obviously get our predictions. So, Andrew, what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I already, already said, said the 1-1, one, one, right? Yeah, I'm going with 1-1. One, one. Um, I think Kyle Aaron finds his scoring boots that he left uh, in the Camping World locker room. Um, and then I think that DC has so many good assets going forward, but I'm probably going to say that someone like Alvo Sabarillo comes off the bench um, in a great role that he's been playing for DC this year, um, and he ties it up, and both teams go home with a point. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna say a win for Orlando. I think somehow they actually pull it out. Uh, DC's not playing for too much at this point, so you got to kind of think Orlando. If they're you know they're playing more for pride and and really want to win this game, then they'll try and pull out a win. I'm gonna say Laren scores as well, and I think Kaká scores the last game at camping, the last goal at Camping World Stadium to send the Lions uh, to the offseason with a win. Okay. And then I'm actually going to say Patrick Mullen scores for DC. I think that works. Right. I think that's going to do it. (laughs) Uh, Michael Citro, I believe, will be back next week with you. Um, I actually think we're heading into the offseason rotation, so it's going to be like once a month, I believe. 
Yeah, so get your fix while you can, folks, because it's not going to be around for much longer. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, thank you, Andrew, for, for joining me on this uh, different mainland podcast. Uh, obviously, as Michael always says at the end of the show, you can find us on Twitter at the mainland, on Facebook at the mainland, and, of course, themainland.com, where you can read up on all of the latest on Orlando City, Orlando Pride, and Orlando City B. So until next time, my name is Austin David, and for Andrew Harrison, so long and go City.